Well, a very good morning to you, my dear ones. And uh, what I wanted to do is begin my time by welcoming over my precious wife to uh, say a quick hello to you all. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to say hi to everybody and let you know how much I miss you. And Jeremy and I both long till the day that we can all be together again as a body and worship together. But until then, we have this. And I'm very thankful for that. But I also just wanted to say, if there's anything you need, if you need any prayer, if you need any tangible items, please let me know. You can call me. You can text me. Um, the email that Jeremy sends out has an online connection card. You can just click on that and type it in. We do see those on Sundays. So please reach out. We want to be there for you. We want to help you if we can. Love you all. Miss you and hope to see you soon. Thank you, baby. Okay, well, good morning again. So uh, today, April 26th, April 26th, it marks the sixth Sunday in a row of doing our service online via YouTube. And as most of you or all of you know, we transitioned to this method because the neighborhood center we usually uh, gather at each week was temporarily clo closed through the month of April due to the coronavirus. And I wish I, wish I could say that today's YouTube service uh, will be the last one. But I found out this week uh, that the closure of the center has been extended uh, to at least May 15th. In addition, the coordinator uh, at the center informed me that she thinks it's highly likely um, that the closure will be extended again through the end of May. But we will have to wait and see if that happens. Anyway, I, along with my wife, am uh, thanking the Lord uh, for this online option we have through YouTube and am thankful for the truly wonderful folks at Summit that are helping to make this possible each week. And I am also praying to the Lord that he would strengthen us all in these very unusual and challenging times. So, beloved, with that, would you please open up your Bibles to Philippians, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. By the way, did you take some time uh, this week to read through Philippians? Did you? Well, it is such a great letter for us to be reading, as I have said before, and to be meditating on. So it is my personal desire, a, a great desire, if you haven't, that you will make it a weekly practice while we continue to, to slowly work through this letter together on Sundays to read through the letter each week. I would recommend maybe Saturday night, but any day is fine, um, but maybe Saturday night, and so you're ready uh, to hear the sermon on Sunday morning. So let's begin by reading the text. I'm actually going to read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4, so if you would now follow along with me in, in your copy of God's Word. The Apostle Paul writes this, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also 
Or I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or gentleness is another translation, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Today's message is titled, Final Appeals. Final Appeals, but this is actually part two, and there will be a part three, and probably a part four as well. Now, I did part one on April 5th, and then the following Sunday, I did an Easter message, and then last Sunday, Thomas preached a message from Romans. So, in light of that, I, I wanted to share just a few of the highlights uh, from part one, since a, a good amount of time has passed since I I preached that message. So, what we find in verses 1 through 9 of this final chapter of the letter is a number of appeals or loving exhortations from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi as Paul brings the letter to a close. Paul's appeals to the church included them standing firm, being united, rejoicing, being gentle, not being anxious, focusing on what is excellent, and following a godly model. So in part one, we considered Paul's first appeal to the church. He appealed to them to, or urged them to, stand firm, or to be steadfast or unwavering. More specifically, Paul lovingly urged the church to Stand firm thus, stand firm thus in the Lord. That phrase, stand firm thus in the Lord, as we find it in the ESV, or the uh, English Standard Version translation of the Bible, that phrase could also be worded, stand firm in the Lord in this manner, or in this way. Thus can mean that. Or it could also be worded, in this manner or way, stand firm in the Lord. Okay, but in what manner or in what way was Paul referring to? Well, as one commentator points out, it is the manner Paul has been outlining in the previous verses of chapter 3. And most especially, the verses at the end of chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Now, just a quick note, a minority of Bible commentators, uh, good Bible commentators, 
think that when Paul says thus, stand firm thus, or in this manner or way, stand firm in the Lord, that Paul is not referring back to what he just said in the letter, but rather he, was, he is referring to the things he goes on to say in verses 2 through 9 that we just read together. So in other words, stand firm in this manner or in this way. Here's how you stand firm by being united, by rejoicing, by being gentle, by not being anxious, by focusing on what is excellent and following the godly model. And um, that all makes sense, but along with most Bible commentators, I don't think that is the case. I do think he, if, as we look at everything, that he's referring backwards to what he just said. So understand Paul to be referring to back to what he just said in the letter, especially at the end of chapter 3 when he said, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. Then that would mean the Christians at Philippi were to stand firm in the Lord, and certainly it would apply to us as well, uh, these things, but they would stand firm in the Lord by carefully following Paul's pattern of life as a follower of Christ and by paying special attention to and learning from the Christian example of others around them who lived according to that same pattern that they had in Paul. They were also to stand firm in the Lord by resisting the pernicious influences, and, and we talked about that in previous sermons, of those who professed, or the pernicious influence, of those who professed faith in Christ, but walked as enemies of the cross of Christ. They were also to s stand firm in the Lord by, by not forgetting, by always keeping their mind on the fact that their citizenship is in heaven. It is in heaven. And that from heaven, they awaited their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would take their weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. So anyway, um, after urging, that kind of uh, captures some of the things I wanted to bring back up from part one. But after urging the church to stand firm, Paul goes on now to make another appeal, another appeal, this time for unity in the church. More specifically, Paul directly addresses two women in the Philippian church who were apparently not getting along and pleads with them to fix it. Not only does he plead with them both to fix it, but he also calls upon another member of the church to, to help these women work things out. Let's look at it again. We see that in verses 2 and 3 in uh, Philippians chapter 4. So if you would look back at uh, your Bibles. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, the New American Standard Bible translates verse, verse 2 this way, 
I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, we do not know exactly what the issue was between these two women, but that Paul would appeal to them by name in a letter that, when it was finally delivered, would have been read out loud to the entire church, and then in addition ask another member of the church to help them, well, that implies that the discord, the conflict between these two members of the church was already known by the church, had been going on for some time, and no doubt posed a real threat to the unity of the church as a whole. And the unity of the church as a whole, as you might remember, is, is something Paul has already addressed a number of times in the letter. In fact, it is one of the, the major themes of the letter. Unity of the church. Gospel unity. Unity in Christ. One commentator says, Paul's general call for harmony in the church, which we've already seen in the letter, prepared the way for naming these two women. They were a specific incidence of disunity. And so Paul, now at the closing of the letter, speaks to them directly. Looking back at verse 2, it says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche, do you see that in verse 2? I entreat and I entreat. That Greek word translated entreat is also translated urge in the New American Standard Bible or plead with, I plead with in the NIV or I appeal to in the NET. And it's used, as you will notice, before each woman's name. Taking note of the repeated verb, one commentator says, it is, this, it is as if he, Paul, is exhorting each separately face to face. It's as if he's looking at Iodia. I urge you, I entreat you. And then he looks at Syntyche. I urge you, I entreat you, I plead with you. Another commentator says, by repeating the verb entreat, Paul speaks directly to each woman separately and does not take sides. But what is Paul pleading with both of these women to do? Well, the text tells us to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. As I noted earlier, the New American Standard Bible translates it to live in harmony in the Lord. So again, the implication is that's not what was occurring at that time. However, the New King James translates chapter 4, verse 2, the New King James Bible, it translates it this way. I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. To be of the same mind in the Lord. That is a, a little literal translation. In fact, the phrase that Paul uses uh, with these two women, that phrase, is the same one he used in chapter 2, verse 2. 
when speaking to the entire church. Turn back there, if you would, to chapter 2 of Philippians. In Philippians 2, verse 2, there we read, speaking to the entire church, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's the same Greek there that we find in chapter 4, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. I want to repeat for you a few things that I said when we looked at that phrase, specifically that phrase, in chapter 2 of verse 2, because it's, it's the same language that's being used in chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, is also translated by other translations as by being like-minded. Complete my joy by being like-minded or by thinking the same way. The phrase, as one commentator points out, describes the general disposition of harmony, of harmony, which should be the background against which the Christian fellowship moves, the writer says. It means being one in intent, purpose, and one in disposition. Another Bible commentator commenting on chapter 2, verse 2, on that phrase, being of the same mind, says, Paul is not asking them to have the same thoughts or feelings about everything. They are not called to be ditto marks of each other. Paul is not squelching human creativity, nor is he prohibiting personal diversity. He is calling them, by using that language, to seek the same goal with a like mind. Uh, my paraphrase, uh, as you, you probably don't remember, but my paraphrase at the time of 2-2, I said, was complete my joy, church, by being on the same page, by being on the same page. But of course, it's not always easy uh, getting everyone on the same page due to personal agendas, pride, or our sinful hearts. All of that often get in the way of being of the same mind, of having harmony in these things. So now, turn back again, uh, just a few chapters over, to chapter 4 again, where we're looking today, and look at verse 2. But I'm going to use the New King James translation, the more literal translation. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Or to agree, which is fine, it's a good translation as well, to agree in the Lord. Uh, I found a very helpful quote from one scholar concerning this entire phrase, to be of the same mind in the Lord and what it means. He says, to be of the same mind means to think the same thing, to have the same attitude, and be intent on the same goal. When one's attitude of mind is in the Lord, union with the Lord informs and inspires the attitude. Now listen. 
Paul wants these two women to have the right attitude toward each other by focusing on their life in union with the Lord. And then he says, when their common bond in the Lord becomes central, becomes primary, becomes the main thing, their attitude toward each other will be the same as Christ Jesus expressed on the way to the cross. They will not claim their rights for their own advantage. They will take the form of a servant. They will humble themselves. We find all of that in chapter 2 of Philippians in verses 5 through 8 concerning Christ. Harmony, he says, will depend for them upon finding a way to resolve or transcend their differences on the basis of a common union with the Lord. After appealing to each woman, Paul asked another member of the church to help these ladies resolve their conflict. Again, back at the text, Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Who is this true or genuine, can be translated, companion that Paul refers to? Well, clearly the Philippians would have known who he was, even if we don't. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on that question because bottom line is we, we can't know for sure. And it doesn't really contribute anything to the text one way or another. Uh, several names have been put forth by commentators along with their reasoning for each name. And it has also been suggested by a number of good commentators that the Greek word translated companion in the ESV might actually be a proper name. So pronounce something like Sisygus. Uh, Sisygus. In fact, uh, one Bible preacher says the best explanation is to leave the Greek word untranslated and, and to take it as a proper name. That Paul calls him true or genuine Sisygus is a play on words, indicating that Sisygus was a genuine companion and thus lived up to his name. Maybe. However, to date, it has never been found as a proper name, that Greek word has never been found as a proper name in any other ancient writings or writings of that time. One commentator speaking to that matter says it is no longer possible to determine with certainty just whom Paul has in mind. True companion suggests a co-worker in the apostolic mission who was no doubt well known to the Philippians. He was probably some prominent and influential member of the congregation, perhaps a person of tact as well as influence, which would make sense concerning in the light of what Paul is uh, calling upon this person to do. 
help with regard to these two women resolve their dispute and come back together in harmony. Anyway, regardless of this person's identity, the fact that Paul called on someone else to help these women work through their conflict, it indicates that they were having or would have trouble doing it on their own. And sometimes that's what's needed. You need to call in a third party, a, a mediator, a go-between to help uh, brothers and sisters or two people work through their differences and their conflict or their animosity toward one another. One writer says, Paul's request for third-party intervention shows how deep the division between these two women was. He, he appealed to them to agree in the Lord, but he also, understanding the circumstances and knowing what was going on, called upon this person in the church to go to them and to help them through that process. And then in verse 3, as we look back at the text, Paul adds another detail about these women. He doesn't end there. That's not the end of uh, his statement. He says, yes, looking again back at verse 3, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored or strived side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The Greek verb translated here as labored side by side is also used, it's the same one used in chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians. Again, there Paul says to the whole church, he says this in verse 27, you can flip back there, chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. There's the, there's the word, the Greek there, translated striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. The Greek verb used in both chapter 1, verse 27, and chapter 4, verse 3, it implies working with someone, working closely with someone, against an opposition or against another team in a competitive struggle. It's a united effort. That's the idea. The church, living worthy of the gospel of Christ, is a church united in thought and action and willingly, humbly, joyfully serving alongside each other in the great cause of Christ, side by side, arm in arm. Commentator says the Greek verb calls to mind the military image of, of soldiers fighting side by side against an opposition for the same purpose, with the same goal, with the same focus. As a... Uh, Someone else points out, a church facing hostile external enemies cannot afford to have its members fighting among themselves. And that is so true, and that was the case for the Philippians. They, like many churches, faced opposition in their city. 
against them, against their Christian faith, against the gospel. So Paul is, is calling them to, to unity and to the striving side by side, working hand in hand, supporting one another, helping one another, encouraging one another as a team, as a unit, as a joint effort, as they, as they fight to make the gospel known and to make Christ known. So now, look back at the text. Again, with that in mind, yes, I, in verse 3 of chapter 4, yes, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, who have strived side by side with me in the gospel. One, one person write, writes this, these women were famous for striving together at Paul's side in his gospel mission. There was a joint effort. There was an, an arm in arm, if you will, standing together for this great cause. They were actively involved participants who struggled and suffered along with Paul to advance the gospel in the face of harsh opposition. That's who these women were. Why does Paul include this detail about these women? I, well, I, I think I, it's on purpose. He didn't have to include it, but I, I, I believe he included it on purpose, and it's primarily for their benefit, is what I would think. That is to cause them, because remember, the letter will be read out loud. And it's not as if people, as I said, don't know that there's an issue here and that there's a problem. But it would be read out loud, and so their names, they would hear their names, but and they would hear Paul's plea. He wasn't harsh with them. It was a plea. He was urging them, begging them, if you will, turning to each one, if you will, and urging them to, to be reconciled and to, to agree in the Lord, to have the same mind in the Lord, to humble their hearts in the Lord before one another. But then, right, they would also hear what Paul says as he recalls their faithful laboring side by side together with him in the advance of the gospel. So I, again, I think it was for their benefit. It would cause them to think about how they had, these women had come together before and, and they had labored side by side, not fighting each other, which is an, a phenomenal waste of time and distraction from what is most important, coming together for the sake of Christ, serving him, advancing him, as opposed to looking to advance our own causes or our own agenda or have our way. It was them seeking together to have the way of Christ. So again, it would cause them to think about that, that they, they were not fighting each other at that time, but rather they were fighting side by side as one for Christ, for his glory, for his fame, in order to advance the gospel. It's as if Paul is saying, do you remember 
Do you remember how we all worked together? How sweet that was, how we, how we all came together for the sake of Christ. What a glory that was. What are you doing now? That would be my guess as to Paul's intent for including that piece of information. Looking back at the text, he says in Philippians 4.3, Yes, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, or in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, a few comments. We don't know anything about Clement. We don't know anything. But he, he may have been a Philippian Christian, probably. Uh, Paul also, while he's recalling these things, recalls other co-workers, but he does not identify them by name. But listen, then he, again, he adds the phrase, he adds a phrase, whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are, again, he didn't have to add that phrase. He could have stopped at the end of uh, the rest of my fellow workers, but he adds this phrase. He's intentional. It's uh, purposeful. One writer says, concerning this phrase, Paul acknowledges that the names of all these dear people are known to God, written in the book of life, that book in heaven that contains the names of all of God's elect, all of God's redeemed. All those who are saved in Christ. Another writer concerning this book says the book of life, he just puts it this way, is the register where God keeps the names of the redeemed. But again, why add this statement? Why add it? Whose names are in the book of life? These ladies' names are in that book. Clement's name is in that book. Paul's fellow workers' names are in that book. Paul's name is in that book. Well, I, I think it's as Paul does on a regular basis. He, he wants to bring his readers back to that eternal perspective. What are you guys, what are you living for? What are we doing here? Our names are written in the book of life. Our our citizenship is in heaven. Why are you on earth squabbling, no doubt, over earthly matters, temporary things that have no eternal significance to them? Why are you doing that? You need to remember who you are. You need to remember where your citizenship is. You need to remember who it is that you have been redeemed by. Who purchased you and made it possible for your name to be placed in that book and remain in that book? You need to remember who it is you serve, who you're living for truly. Your name is written in the book of life, a registry of all those who will dwell with God forever. And I think that's, I found it even in my own life, just continually, it, it seems it's so easy to lose eternal perspective, to think um, uh, primarily about stuff going on in the, in the here and now, get caught up in all of that and, and forget about eternal matters and forget about even our Lord 
on some level, forget about his calling, forget about why he's redeemed us and why he has left us here for a time to get in squabbles over things that in the end mean nothing? No. Another writer has an interesting take on it, and I appreciated his too, concerning why Paul would add the name whose names are in the book of life. And again, as I said, it, it's a register where God keeps the names of the redeemed, right? He says this, the citizens of the Roman colony of Philippi who have their names recorded in a civic register of citizens know that they have a duty to live in harmony and peace with one another. The citizens of the colony of heaven who have their names written in the book of life in heaven are called by their Lord above all powers to live in peace with one another. This living in peace is not only a testimony to the power of Christ and the transforming nature of being in Christ, but it also enables a, a people to be ready to, to strive together with one another for the purposes that Christ has called them to, to making the gospel known, to, to bearing witness to Jesus Christ in word and in deed. It also allows the church or enables the church, one that is living in peace, to endure the troubles of, and I mean peace with one another, endure the troubles of this world, of this life, much better, and the persecution that comes against the people of God. As I said earlier, if there's infighting, then how are they possibly going to join together against the opposition that they will experience again, that comes against them because they're followers of Christ. In closing, John MacArthur says, I was reading his commentary, and he said, the tragic conflict between Eodia and Syntyche reveals that even the most mature, faithful, and committed people such as were Iodia and Syntyche, can become so selfish as to be embroiled in controversy if they are not diligent to maintain unity, which is exactly uh, the very thing that Paul has been calling the entire church to, to, to be united in Christ, to maintain their unity uh, that he's been calling them to through the entire letter. All of us are susceptible to such things, in other words. And therefore, we need to be aware of that and be diligent and careful to maintain the unity within the body of Christ. That means not allowing things to go undone or not dealt with and having uh, a right spirit and attitude toward one another, the same spirit and attitude of Christ humble uh, in ser serving, looking to serve one another uh, and looking together along with my brothers and sisters to live for our Lord. Another writer says the most common way people deal with conflict, and this is true, commenting now on today's circumstances, the most common way people deal with conflict with one another 
or with another church member is to leave and find another church. That's so true. Let me, let me read that to you again. The most common way people deal with conflict with one another, with another, I'm sorry, with another church member is to leave and find another church. I, can't, I, can, I can tell you I know that to be true personally. I've seen it happen over and over again. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. Instead of working it out, instead of uh, maybe getting help if they need help to resolve uh, their conflict, instead of repenting of the things they need to repent of, they just leave. He says in New Testament times, they didn't have that option since there was only one church per city. Now, you know, there's a church on every corner, so people just bail, unfortunately. He says this, it would be better if we couldn't just hop to another church. It would, because we take the easy way out and we miss the growth and the testimony that can come through working things out in a biblical manner. Anyway, some things to chew on and things to think about. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word that we we have. It is a precious treasure, a precious gift. We're so grateful for it. Father, I pray that we treat it appropriately. It is your holy word. It is truth. It gives us guidance. It gives us instruction. It leads us along the way you would have us to go. It also rebukes us when we need rebuking and it encourages us. And it speaks to who we are to be and how we are to behave and to think and to act and to react as your people and as your people brought together in these local communities called churches. And Father, I pray that uh, we would heed it, that we would heed these things that we see, that we've been seeing, that we're learning uh, through this letter to this ancient church at Philippi. Father, unity within the body of Christ Uh, is not a secondary matter. It is a huge deal to you. You have called us to be one in Christ, to lay aside those things that we should lay aside and to unite around what is most important, to have the mind of Christ, to think in these ways and to love one another and to care for one another. And when we sin against each other, and we do, to resolve that to either ask for forgiveness or if sinned against to go to a brother or sister and resolve that matter if it's not something we can just simply uh, look the other way it's, it's, it's not a trivial matter but something more serious more substantial and that it's eating at us and so we're not called to just leave to vacate we're also not called to to grumble or to complain or to slander or to gossip about the the other person or persons but instead father to go and and to to have harmony for the sake of the church for the entire body and for the sake of the advancement of the gospel for the sake of our witness before the world concerning christ father i just pray you would continue to work uh, work in us and work at work in this uh, our church and, and all the other churches that are your churches here on the earth father to 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 bring these things to fruition uh, father thank you for all your many blessings and thank you uh, so much for the blessing of the church and father as we um, just find ourselves in a in a really odd place right now not being able to do what the church is supposed to do uh, gather together and 
just be with one another and to live life together and to come together to corporately worship you and, and spend time face to face, body to body, um, and all that, that that comes with that, Father. Uh, help us, Lord. Uh, strengthen us for this. We trust you. We know you have uh, your purposes in these things. We know you're sovereign. We know that. Help us to just continue to, to be patient, to wait on you, and then to do whatever it is we can to make the most of the situation uh, even now as we wait for you to restore uh, the blessing of our gatherings and, and uh, our interactions. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved, that it concludes our time today. And uh, I, I do want to, again, I generally send out a link to a connection card, an online connection card. We used to have them in the bulletins, but, you know, we're not meeting anymore. So it's an online connection card. You can fill it out. You can put your prayer request, uh, your praises, comments, questions, requests for help. You can find that through the link that I send out to the entire church. And... Um, and I want to encourage you to do it because the prayer team take will get all of the non-confidential prayer requests. We send those to the prayer, t- prayer team. The confidential ones go to the elder board, but the non-confidential ones go to the pr- prayer team. And they haven't had too many uh, lately, and so they're really desiring uh, to pray for you. And so they want to do that intelligently uh, according to your request, so I would encourage you to just take a moment and find that email that I sent out to you. Click on it and, and, and provide some requests maybe for them, for the prayer team. and Because you know, we should be praying for one another. All right, beloved. And uh, I'll see you next week, uh, next Sunday, same time, same channel.